Passage of this bill, I believe, is an investment in Alaska's future. In my opinion, this is the worst bill I've ever seen as a member of the legislature. Those vetoes, I think, are harmful to public education. I've learned one very strong thing is you don't always know people's motives. They appear to have a head-in-the-sand approach to budgeting. I'm disappointed. I'll be sending a letter today. We're in the governing business. We're not in the kicking-the-can business. Welcome to the Empty Office Podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Gail Tobin. I'm Mike Mason. Today, Senator Tobin and I are joined by some classroom teachers who are in Juneau to testify about what it is like on the front lines of public education in Alaska. We are joined by Christy Cotronio and Heather Baker, both teachers at the K Beach Elementary School in Soldotna. First, I want to thank you both for testifying to Senate Education. It was among the most powerful testimony that we've heard in Senate Education and really backs up a lot of the things we have heard around this table from teachers, administrators, and superintendents about the crisis situation we are seeing in public education. Both of you all kind of mentioned that it is such a crisis that you're thinking of leaving Alaska or leaving uh, perhaps not the profession, but looking for other opportunities. Try to put that in some perspective for people about how this crisis is just impacting you and your colleagues. Christy? We go into work every single day with, um, with trauma. We go into work every single day with so much on our shoulders. Mentioned before in probably many testimonies here, we are not only the students, teachers, but we take the weight of everything that that they're going through as well. The magnitude of what we do as teachers is huge. Um, to, To not have the support we need, to not have the the support from our communities, um, and to go in there and do that and not get paid for what you are doing is tremendous. Uh, it's so sad to see the amount of quality educators leaving our system, not just teachers, but paraprofessionals, everything, just because this work is hard. It's extremely hard and exhausting. Heather, can you f- follow up on that? Tell us about what it is like for you and your colleagues in your school? Um, so you you asked kind of two different pieces there. So one with regard to why we're leaving in the current state and then um, what it's like for us in our building right now. So you are seeing a lot of teachers leaving and you are seeing teachers leave because of uh, several problems. One, you're seeing classrooms that aren't fully funded uh, like they were several years ago. And that makes huge issues for us as teachers, one of those being large class sizes. So right now, most of our colleagues have classes with upwards of 25 to 30 students. There is a significant difference between having 20 nine-year-olds in a room together and having 30 nine-year-olds in a room together. Um, It's coupling that with the behavior issues that you're seeing or other pieces without supports from paraprofessionals or aides because we can't afford them anymore or fill those positions. And you have one adult managing all of that while trying to teach all of the different elements in our academic world, meet their social emotional needs, and do that in a post-COVID era where there are giant gaps in education from those that had support for multiple years when the education system was in a struggle crisis point 
and those that didn't have any support during that time. So we really have a broader gap than we have ever seen in education. But now in those giant class sizes, because we don't have the funding to make them smaller, it's putting too much on our teachers. Other states are offering funding to their schools and creating a base student allocation that allows them to have smaller class sizes. And so other states are pulling our quality teachers away because they're recruiting them in a, in a shortage in our teacher um, profession. They're able to pull them out and take them to places where they're getting those smaller class sizes, which gives us the ability to meet students' needs at such a higher level than what we're seeing here. Um, Alaska as a whole also is in a crisis point where they're not offering our teachers a reason to stay. Most of us are now tier three teachers and in our retirement system, we don't have a pension and we don't get social security. That's a very scary state for a lot of us to be in. So even though we have loved teaching up here, when you couple what you're seeing in the classroom being so problematic with the fact that we're not being provided for in our future, those quality educators, again, are leaving our state. Well, then that creates another issue within our classrooms and within our schools. We're now hiring underqualified teachers. We're getting emergency certificates. We're having long-term subs. That makes our collaboration with our grade-like partners or others exponentially more challenging because now if we're veteran teachers, we're teaching people that don't have a background in education and we're having to help support them at the same time we're balancing our own workload and it's creating a significant burnout. We're also watching students that we love that we're handing off to teachers that maybe shouldn't be in that position right now, maybe should have more training or have a more solid foundation. And then they're facing 30 kids in their classroom without the skill set and the education to help them manage that situation. And so you're seeing a significant burnout on your veteran teachers and reasons for them wanting to leave. So I want to ask a question on the intersection between the out-migration, we're in 11th year of out-migration in the state, and the fact that teachers like you, who are closer to my age than many of the other people in this building, are asking for a defined benefit. I have heard from many of those who are not as warm or welcoming to the idea of reinstating a defined benefit that millennials don't want that. We want mobility and we want to have different options that give us flexibility. And I'm hearing you say something exactly opposite. And I'm hearing you say that you will be part of that out-migration trend if Alaska doesn't reverse its declination of providing for a retirement later after you finish this part of your career. Can you Help me understand that because I try to share that with my colleagues and they all say, no, 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 you don't know what millennials want. And I think, well, I'm a millennial and I am looking forward to my pension when I retire from this work. I really think what career you're looking into. When you say teaching, uh, people go into teaching as a long-term career. Yes, millennials do want to go and they want to 
if you're in the technology department, we're looking at 10 years, you're going somewhere else. Absolutely. But we're not. And guess what? If you're in tech, they're going to pay them to compensate, to go and move. And that's the expectation. But for teachers, for other people, not just teachers, but our public servers, they want to stay in this career for a long time. They want to see, they don't be, we don't become, we have to hone our profession. We take years to get where we are today. We don't, we don't just throw it away just like doctors, all of those um, professionals. So I think, yes, there are people who do want to move, but it depends on what career and what job you are in. Well, and I think to, to build on that, when you're talking about teachers and educators, they build an entire climate within their schools. They build reputation or relationships with other students that they follow going up through the entire system. They're not looking to leave that and go somewhere else. The projects that they build, the collaborative partnerships that they build with teammates is something that stays there. Mine also comes from being a mom. I have loved our schools when my kids first started here. And so having them in a community where their name still hits the paper when they have made a successful sporting event or done something in a school play, that's huge for us. We wanted that small town community to raise our children in, which is why we came up here. And so we intended to stay their entire time that they were here. Um, It wasn't something that we had considered when we moved that we'd leave. And yet now we are. Um, we're also talking about schools, though, that are, we are the major schools in Alaska. Talking, well, I also think about the perspective of our village schools. They are wanting that pension. They want to stay in the village. They want to be near their family. So when we look at Alaska, we're a very unique state. We aren't just looking at these larger schools. You have to think about the population of teachers within that. Those are the ones that want the pensions. Those are the ones that want to stay. And they are millennials, and we want them to stay. Is it at all frustrating when you hear people uh, talk about education as a business? That it's like we just we have to we have to meet the bottom bottom line, and that's just the way it is. Um, that is not my vision for public education, and my vision for like what our kids need is just you know where you're a you're a number on a line. Is it frustrating when people talk about public education as like a a business? Well, I think even the most successful businesses, um, they do one thing. They have a community. So if they want to compare businesses, you can look at the most successful around the nation, and you will see that those are the businesses that build up a family. They build up strong leadership, and that is what schools are. So kids are never numbers. One thing in our school, and one thing I always tell my students, you're never a number. You are here. You're safe. Um, so if, they, if, if anybody does like to compare the businesses, you can tell me which is the most successful in the nation and what their qualities are. I find it offensive as a mom because you're looking at my children and their futures and that should be your paramount primary objective is to make sure that those kids and our tomorrow is provided for. They're our most precious resource. And so if you're looking at that at a bottom line, if you're not fully funding that system, you're not giving them the best opportunities that they have and they are going to fill every position that we have in every avenue of business. They should be where all of our energy goes to. So we recently had a good dialogue with the ACLU talking about their processes around the prisoner project. And in working for Senator Begich and carrying some of his signature legislation, I did quite a bit of research in how do we keep people out of prisons? And I stumbled across something called the Perry Preschool Study 
that really showcased and highlighted that if we put the dollars in those early years, we will actually get a better return on our investment. If we put a dollar into pre-K, we save $7 by that time that that young person has graduated and entered the workforce. They're not as dependent on social services. They may not end up in the criminal legal system. You both work in the fourth grade classrooms, the classroom right after the Alaska Reads Act comes into real significant play. And you're in that space of helping our young kids now start to move from learning to read to reading to learn. What is that like when you hear people say, well, let's put $44 million into the Department of Corrections and not give anything for the public education budget? What is that? What, what are you thinking when you see that choice being made in this body? Oh, gosh. Um, my heart breaks because we want to do preventative care. And I love that you brought up um, early education and even before that. In fact, I love that here in Alaska, they're doing this study by, um, oh, I can't remember this, the who's doing it, but he is actually going and and meeting with moms before they become moms so that we can get parents right before they even, you know, they right, even before they have kids, because that is actually where the biggest issue is before they even come into our classroom, into school. That is where we need to invest our money. When we do our pre, um, any, like when it's like insurance, right? Health insurance, you want to invest in doing the pre so that we don't have a problem later on in life. So if we're not investing now in our younger students, then you will continue to see that uh, prison to pipeline uh, scenario going on. I love that you mentioned that transition period where our kids are going from that learning to read piece to reading to learn component. When we've built the foundations for them in those early grades, we're able to keep them in our realm in that love of learning place because they have all of the foundational skills to read and we're not needing to focus on that. And we're able to give them hands-on project-based learnings to explore and to be creative and to become thinkers. And we're able to help them in that journey so that then they do continue to grow with that passionate love of learning. And they can only get there if we've put the investment in early on to get them to that point that when they walk in our doors, they can read. We had a beautiful conversation this morning actually with um, Carpenter, believe it or not. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that we talked about was uh, our students need to feel secure and safe before they can do any type of learning. So in any type, it doesn't matter if it's a charter school, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Every, In fact, I tell Heather all the time, I'm worried about the kids that don't show us um, their behaviors or their community. I'm, I'm rephrasing it as communication styles because we all know communi- uh, behavior is just communication, right? So we, it doesn't, I'm worried about our kids that we can't see the behaviors. We can't see them act out. It it could be you could have the most money. You could have the best religion. Whatever you want to say, there's always going to be the need to meet their fundamental needs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of safety first and feeling that. And then they're going to be able to excel. They're going to be able to grab the content. They're going to be able to learn. When, Especially coming out of COVID, we have seen a lot of our kids missing that social aspect. What I'm sad about is that we haven't taken the time to reteach them how to communicate. And is you are seeing it in their ability to retain information, their ability to, to attend um, in the classrooms. So that piece is essential and vital in order to make a learning happen. What are your thoughts as you as you talk to people and you see 
people in this uh, in this building advocate for and against, or perhaps even show indifference uh, to these to these issues? What uh, What are your thoughts? I think the one thing we're supposed to teach uh, to our students is how to how do we get along with people who have different ideas and beliefs, um, and we teach them that you need to have tolerance and an open ear and listening. And um, it saddens me to see that um, we are our mentors our. St- students mentors aren't following that same philosophy because I think that's you need to walk the walk and talk the talk if we're telling our kids you need to get along with everybody and you need to have tolerance for everybody but yet we go to a place and we can't meet a middle ground then it just it saddens me to see that Heather is the is the politics frustrating I haven't run into that experience just yet. Um, I tend to be a very bubbly, happy personality, and I think it's hard for people to kind of look in that and then have a negative reaction to that. And I switch really quickly. So I switch really quickly from my teacher hat to my mom hat, and I'm able to connect almost always, even if someone is fairly negative in their positions on education, uh, in that mom position, in that advocating for my own biological children position, I kind of get a little bit of a different headway with them. And most of them are parents. And so that connection component kind of opens a door where I can get the conversation in when we can connect about their kids and my kids at the same time. Is the answer managing these class sizes I mean, is it is that the is that the key to kind of getting a handle on this is to be able to have the resources to hire more teachers, hire more paraprofessionals, to to get class sizes down to something reasonable. Is that the is that the way to way forward? I think it's a piece of it. I think it's huge. I think uh, education in general uh, right now in our nation, not just in Alaska, is in dire need of a, a change. But I think one step towards that could be fully funding us so that you can see what we can actually do. Um, you Until we're fully funded, there's no way anybody can come up here and, tell, and say we're not doing our jobs and give us a couple years with that funding and then come back and tell us what's happening. So yes, smaller class sizes, the resources we need, they would all help and there's more to do after that. So, Heather, uh, would would fully funding public education with enough resources uh, result in better outcomes, uh, better student performance? Uh, you know, would that address many of the issues that we've been talking about? I think it absolutely does. I think Christy highlights that it is a big giant piece of this. And I think one of the things that your smaller class sizes or your fully funded resources is doing is addressing that the biggest problem to education probably exists outside of funding and education as a whole because it exists within the American family. And we're having kids that are coming from all different places and broken places in a lot of situations or non-supported places. And that's why you're seeing the communication issues and the behavior issues within the classroom. So when you're bringing that trauma into the classroom in any capacity, a teacher that has 20 to 22 students can help meet those social emotional needs of those children and still meet the needs of those that may have better supported homes. A teacher with 30 kids in her classroom cannot meet all of those without support. And so when you're meeting those basic needs and you're doing that on that capacity, you're able to then provide that better education platform to start building on for all of your students. Uh, well, Christy and, uh, and Heather, I want to thank you, but I, I have one more question. And this is, and I prepped you all about what my question is. So if you could choose one person, they could be dead or alive. You get to drop them into the Alaska State Legislature, and they've got a vote, and they get to sit next to Senator Tobin. 
Who would that person be? I'm going to be, begin with you, Christy. Uh, can I have a clarifying question? Does this person have to be real? Yeah, no, no, no. no. Does it have to be alive? Does it have to be anything? Anybody you want. Okay, so I originally thought the genie, because then he could sit next to you, and I, you could say, what are the wishes you want, and he can make him grand it. And then I'm sitting next to Heather, and she's like, Mrs. Frizzle. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, we can all get on the magic school bus, and they could all see what education is really about, and it'll change their minds on how much funding we need, because everybody likes the magic school bus. I want more millennials to be in our podcast. Okay. Heather, uh, who, who would you choose? Well, clearly, Christy stole my answer. Um, but when you first asked me, my gut reaction said my mom, and then my teacher brain said, actually, my 15-year-old son. And so I'd bring my 15-year-old son because I think he gives a perspective um, of a completely different voice to many of our House representatives or senators that might be in a different age bracket. He is a very well-educated young man, but I also think that that experience would open his eyes to what the state of Alaska is actually facing, and he's one of the people that will be able to change what's happening in our state. And would he be the best video game player in the legislature? Oh, probably. Okay, very good. Uh, Christy uh, Contronio? Cotronio. Cotronio. Cotronio, yeah. Christy Cotronio <laughs> and uh, Heather Baker are both uh, teachers at the K Beach Elementary School in Soldatna. I want to thank you for coming thank on you. our podcast. And I really want to thank you for your testimony to Senate Education today. It was, it was very powerful and, and hopefully will move the needle a little bit and we can do something good before this session is up for public education. Uh, so you have been listening to the Empty Office Podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Giltobin. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Substack, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and the Apple Podcast app. I'm Mike Mason. Please be safe out there.